listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Let's go to open your Bibles to Matthew 28. If you do not have a Bible, please, uh, there are Bibles on the counter over there. Help yourself and uh, you can use that this morning. If you don't have one at home, please take it home with you. Let that be our gift to you so that you can um, take and start reading. And, 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 and we pray just, it, just taking in God's word in your life because it is the only word that will stand at, that has stood and will stand forever and ever. I just want to, again, just reemphasize a few words about the prayer night that we had. As I said, a special night for our church, and and we had to scramble last minute. We had to change rooms because all of a sudden it was like, wow, too many people are showing up for this. And and so their um, caretaker allowed us to go into the sanctuary. and, um, and, And however, this week, though, I have fielded probably more complaints in the life of our church uh, than I ever have in about one uh, particular event that we've done. And it was that night. And the complaint was this, we didn't pray long enough. People felt cheated that we didn't pray long enough. And I'm like, I will take those complaints any time. And, uh, and, and, and this is a good church. It's not uh, a majorly complaining church and, uh, at all. And, and we're thankful for that. But those are the complaints I love to hear because it just primes us for more. And so, um, it, it, as I said, the next fervent prayer and worship night, um, November the 21st, 6 p.m. And, and, and let's put these words up on the screen. And uh, we're going to say this out loud. Let's go pray. Let's all go. See you there. So let's say it together, okay? Let's go pray. Let's all go. See you there. Super cheesy, right? But hey, I trust it's effective that the 21st, we're going to fill that church with people just fervently desiring to worship and to pray and to meet with God. And uh, so one more time, let's go pray. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so cheesy, but so good and effective, I trust, that reminding you. One of our staff members said this week, as we are talking about it in our staff meeting, they said, it's about making prayer great again. And, and, and it really is. It's, it's so easily can slip into the back kind of background of our life and, and of our day and even of us, our church. Prayer needs to be the main event and the first event. And, and this morning, even in the setup and, and everything, you wouldn't believe how many times you see groups of people together before the work begins, before the setup, before the worship, before the service. There's prayer, prayer, prayer. We need to continue to keep just absorbing ourselves in prayer. And, and in your groups, I trust that prayer is taking over even a lot of the sharing time. Let, instead of sharing it all, let's just share it with God and bring it to the throne of grace. Bring it right to him. Trusting, believing, resting in the power of God. Asking, seeking, knocking, not giving up. And, uh, and to pray with persistence, to pray with impudence. Also, I just have a little kind of little, um, before we get to the message, little um, thing I want to share with you. And, and, and this has uh, gone through elder approval. Um, just I, I desire to have um, them also give approval to what I'm saying here today so we can speak as one voice. And, and, and I encourage you, let's be very intentional in the coming days and weeks and months to love and to pray for one another here at the body of Christ. Um, John 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples, and then he prayed for all believers. And what did he pray? That we would be one, that we would be united together in Christ. And, and we are so thankful for the unity that God has given to us as a church. But we hold it very carefully. And we, 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 we desire to, to treat this tenderly. 
And as the gospel, as we see, went forth in the book of Acts, and as already read, as it spread from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, it went forth uniting people from every social background, cultural, political, all kinds, enemies even became friends because of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ unites. And we are living in a world that everything is getting torn apart. We're living in interesting days. And this past week, or in the coming weeks, we have people stepping away from their jobs, from their careers because of the various mandates. They have been making and they have made various decisions based on their convictions. These convictions, they have landed on through prayer, through the study of God's word, research, wise counsel, lots of wrestling, and ultimately the Lord's leading. Others have applied these same principles and have come to a very opposite conclusion and decision. We celebrate it all because this is how the Lord leads and guides in our diversity. This is not a close-handed issue, whether it's vaccines or masks or anything like this. This is not a gospel primary issue. There will be diversity. And, 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 and for various reasons, there will be diversity even in the same households. You know, Christian unity does not mean uniformity. And so this cannot and will not be known as a church that has this bent or that bent when it comes to the current mandates. We want to be faithful to the mission that God has given to us and how we must be praying and loving one another. Your elders, your leaders, um, staff, small group leaders, we want this, we want our groups to be a safe place where you won't feel judged, where you won't, look, won't be looked down upon based on the convictions and the decisions regardless of where you have landed on these issues. So let's be kind. Let's be gracious to one another. Let's be praying. Let's be listening to one another, desiring to understand one another. We can't live in fear. We need to keep placing it all in God's hands, whether it be COVID, whether it be vaccines, whether it be mandates, or anything that comes our way. And there's going to be more that will come our way as the body of Christ Let's not live in fear, but press on in the name and the power of Christ. We trust God. We trust his word. We trust his power, his presence. But we need one another in this journey. So please, don't assume that everyone is on the same page as you or agrees with the decisions and the conclusions that you have. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. If people have said things and it's landed and it's, it's caused an offense, forgive them. Even if they don't ask for it, even if they're not aware of it, but you're carrying some bitterness, forgive them. The enemy would love nothing more than to divide the body of Christ. Let's not give him a foothold, amen? Amen. Nor do we retreat, though, because the mission marches on. The early church, they did not have democracy in their government or did they have personal liberties? Nor were they oblivious to what was going on. They just weren't consumed by it. They were consumed by the gospel and the mission that, 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 that Christ laid out for them. They got down to business. They got to the real mission. They got to what was truly important, making much of Jesus. And in 30 years, that early church, the gospel spread from Jerusalem to Rome, turning the world upside down. And I honestly do believe that what's happened in the past can happen again. God is not restricted in time. 
And I believe for us as a church, for believers in this day, it can be our finest hour for our generation. And so would we commit to love, serve, pray, care for one another in these days? Let's lock our shields together and advance for kingdom purposes. And in a room like this, there is great diversity, but it is Christ who unites. Let's pray, uh, and then we'll get to the message. Teach us, Lord, in a greater way to pray. Teach us to love. Teach us to unite together around the right things. And together with one voice, raise a hallelujah that Jesus is king. When misfits and weaklings like us can join together in unity with one voice, that's when Jesus can get traction in our day. Give wisdom to those who are seeking and making various decisions. Give peace to those who have made various decisions. Give your peace that passeth all human understanding, and would we be the first and foremost to be about Team Jesus, to go in the Spirit's power in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Matthew 28. Uh, that wasn't the sermon. Some of you were like, oh, early out. Uh, no, not happening. Um, Matthew 28, as we have this passage here before us about what is the right mission to be a part of. Verse 18 of Matthew 28, and it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is known as what? The Great Commission, right on. This is, this is a good thing to know, but this isn't the only time. You might say, well, we sure hinge a lot of our lives based on just one, one, one passage of Scripture. Uh-uh, the Great Commission is all throughout the Gospels. You see it in the epistles as well, but we see it here so clearly as a command from Jesus. And, and in, 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 on the screen even right now, you see some of the other locations where we see that. Write those verses down, look them up this week, and, and look and see that the commission, and, and, and we get as we look at all of these different locations of, of where we see the commission laid out before us, we get our marching orders for us as the body of Christ. And so we have been in this series, the cost, the follow, asking ourselves, what does it mean to truly follow Jesus? What does it mean to live on the right mission? This is how we're going to conclude this series here today. It is about being busy and committed to, to, to the right things. But what are those right things? Are those right things the spiritual disciplines outlined in the 5G life that we talk about so often, the God time, the give time, the gather time, the go, go time, and, and, and the group time? Are, are we about those things? Yes, those are good things. Or it's really important to, you know, the right mission means you got to be a part of a church that has strong convictions, and this is a church with strong convictions, but, and, and, and that's all great and everything, but, but there's more to it than that. This photo that you'll see on the screen has sobered me greatly in the last number of weeks since seeing it. You see, you may have been born in church, baptized in church, served in the church, given lots of money to the church. You could have been married in the church and died in the church and you can still end up in hell because you were only in church and not in Christ. It can happen here. It's not just the mainline churches that have lost their way. It can happen here. You can have religion but not have a relationship with the living God. 
Great activity doesn't equate to eternal results. No, it's looking at the word of God and it's examining our lives carefully, honestly, giving it careful attention. And so we've been working through in this series, and, and this is where this series has kind of taken a bit of that deeper dive, and we started a few weeks ago about the cost to follow. What does it mean to truly follow Jesus Christ? It, it means, first of all, we looked at daily surrendering to Christ's authority. Jesus said in Matthew 16 that, that, that if anyone is going to follow Jesus, if anyone's going to be his disciple, it starts, it starts with denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following and you see, this is where there can be a lot of defective Christianity in our city, in our families. A Christianity that likes Jesus but doesn't let him take over. And if Jesus hasn't taken over our life, it's a defective Christianity. It's about, second of all, we looked at choosing to worship Jesus, giving him our first and our best. And then last week we talked about being a people dependent on prayer. We're not going in our power, not in our impressiveness in, 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 in any sort of way. Instead, it is choosing to seek the Lord in persistence, humble, continued, dependent prayer, living in the power of the Holy Spirit, asking for His Spirit to fill us every day. And this week as we wrap up this series, it's kind of where the rubber meets the road when it comes to our everyday lives. And, and, and this, because what we're going to talk about today is going to infiltrate and ought to infiltrate every part of our lives, and that is living on and for the right mission. To be consumed with this, to be aware of this, and to be growing in this in our daily lives. And I believe that today, that, that, that today's message will be a very good reminder and a challenge for all of us. And some of you, it's just going to mean some minor tweaking and some tune-ups in some areas in your lives. But then for others of us, <laughs> we may need to be making some pretty major readjustments in how we think and how we live and how we go about uh, going through our everyday life. God may be calling some of you to join the mission in a full-time way, that he may be calling you into full-time ministry to be a part of his mission. It's going to land differently for each one of us, but would we be faithful? You see, we can give our lives for so many different ambitions and causes and endeavors and experiences and missions that we can be a part of. But if you are a follower of Christ, the primary mission that supersedes all other things is the mission of Jesus Christ. It is the great commission that has been given to us. However, there's a huge rub on what I'm going to say here today because there are two very predominant uh, principles of our age. And, 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 and the day that we're living in, it infiltrates our lives so very much. And the first one is comfort. We want the easy life. We want the good life. Uh, I mean, and, and we will work hard. We will work to the bone if necessary in order to be able to achieve it if it will benefit me and will give me some sort of comfort or satisfaction. And, and, be, and, and that takes us to the second one. First one is comfort. The second one is personal autonomy. I think I do what I want, when I want, with whomever I want, and no one's going to tell me any different. That's so dangerous. It's kind of that attitude. You're not the boss of me. What kind of authority do you have in my life? Well, the word of God has authority in our lives. And we want Jesus so oftentimes just to fit and to bless our designer, self-made lives. To have, you know, our lives going along just the way we want and have a little sprinkle of Jesus whenever we need it. And that's not what it's about. It's being consumed with him. And Jesus' call, the call that he has on his disciples ruins both of these principles. 
You see, halfway Christianity is the most miserable existence. Half-hearted Christians know enough to feel guilty about their sins, but haven't got far enough to become happy. And so, so oftentimes, it is the most frustrating life. Now, as many of you may or may not know, or you will definitely know today, I, I happen to like the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I'm a pretty faithful, loyal fanny. I mean, this was just a quick grab of some of the things from our house. I mean, back behind here, you just see, you know, shirts and jerseys and stuff. And, and again, just a small smattering of this. This down here is a replica um, sweater that the coach wore when we won the 89 Grey Cup. True story. Yep, got it here. Like, amazing, isn't it? You know, this helmet gets worn to every game that I go to. You know, it's just, you know, to be, uh, I mean, and, and I've, got, I've got the tattoo sleeve because my wife won't let me get a full sleeve of Saskatchewan Rough Rider stuff, so I get to, to wear this. And I've got the, you know, the, the um, coveralls kind of thing here. And, and of course, the jerseys and, and, and all of this. And so, yeah, I, I happen to, you know, kind of like the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And <clears throat> just a second, I'm just really thirsty. So, oh. Ugh, yeah, I mean, our house is just covered. I mean, I step into the garage, there's stuff I could have been grabbing. There's stuff in, in the bed. I mean, oh, my shoelace is undone. Oh, do you see these socks? You know, my Saskatchewan. I mean, underwear, but won't show that. Um, anyways, we, I mean, it, and, and so it, it's something, you know what, I, I really, you know what, I, I'm, a, I'm a loyal fan. And um, truth be known, something else about me, I'm quite the athlete too. Uh, Thanksgiving, uh, played uh, lots of football with my nephews and uh, brother, you know, one of my brothers and nephews in there, and boy, we had a lot of uh, really interesting games, and, and uh, yeah, I can chuck a pretty good football too. Let's just take a look at this. Yeah, we had drone footage of, of this going on here, so, so that, yeah, that's me there, like quarterback, uh, wearing the green jersey, of course, and just watch this, fake fake, and then the bomb. <laughs> Touchdown, yeah! Touchdown to my son, Nate. And yes, he, um, and so yes, we um, don't let that video get out there. Um, because I mean, we, I mean, I like watching games. I was nervously watching last night's game and they pulled it out. Yes, I'm a loyal fan. And, and, um, and, 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 and truth be known, I'll record games and if they win, um, I often rewatch them and watch the, the highlights and the good parts. If they lose, I quickly um, delete them. Um, uh, I listen to sports talk radio from Saskatchewan where they talk about the riders. I have a chat group that I'm a part of with family members where we bellyache and cheer on the riders. But one thing I know that will never ever happen, I'll never be watching a game in person or uh, even on the couch and all of a sudden get a phone call and it is Jeremy O'Day, the GM of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and he's not going to say, Meldon, suit up. It's time to get in the game. We need you. I mean, I've, he sees that video, he might, so that's why I said, don't get it. I have a job already and I've, you know, I'm happy with it, so don't show that video to, to him or anything like that. You know? But he's not, more than likely, not going to call me and say, we need you to go in the game. No, no, I, I'm not going to do that. I like to watch. I like to go to games. I like to watch them on my couch. I like to cheer. I like to boo. I like to judge. I like to second guess. I like to criticize. So I'm not going to be playing, I'm just a fan. But sadly, we can treat the Great Commission, missional living, or the kingdom church work, 
very much like we do when it comes to our favorite sports. We like to show up. We like to tune in. We, we, we sit with our arms crossed. We might doze off if it gets a little boring or a little dry, especially if you're watching golf. I mean, that will kill you. So, I mean, you, you need a, an after Sunday afternoon nap, watch golf, and it will knock you out. And, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, we're tuned in. We're ready to go. We're faithful. We're loyal. We're in it. But that's not the call that we have when it comes to the Great Commission. We are all called to get off the bleachers, to get out of the stands, to get out of the couch and roll up our sleeves and get involved in the mission of Christ. And so this morning, I encourage you to write down these points that we're going to see here from Matthew 28 from the Great Commission. And it's about living on, what does it mean to live the right mission? And when we live on the right mission, it understands, first of all, that Jesus is worthy of my full allegiance. And in verse 18, it says, And Jesus said, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is saying, he, saying here in this verse, There's no place in heaven, on earth, anywhere that he does not have complete and total authority over. Jesus is the one and only. He is worthy of all of our allegiance and our praise. If you have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, your life, you have to understand, it's a miracle. It's a total and complete miracle if you have received the gospel. When we understand, when we understand that, that we, having such evil in our hearts, that we have sinned and that we have fallen short of God's glory, every one of us has, and when we understand that we are dead to God on the inside, and yet God the Father loves us so much, he loves us with an everlasting love, that he made the arrangement with his one and only son to come to this earth to live a humble life that was drenched in blood from his birth right until his death. We see the start, the end, we see a human birth, but we also see his death. And who at the very thought left the glory of heaven, at the very thought of redeeming our hell-destined lives, he went joyfully to the cross. He came to this earth and he gave himself up for us, taking upon himself the punishment and the wrath that our sins, our wrongdoing, our failures, or even whoops, our mistakes deserve. He went to the cross for those. He died for those. He took the punishment that we so deserve. And when any person of any age, from any ethnicity, any background, regardless of how messed up and weak a person might be, hears and understands and responds in repentance to the good news of Jesus Christ and cries out to God, I am sorry, I have sinned. How I've sinned against you, God. How I've sinned against others. And when one understands that and then receives by faith Jesus in our place, his punishment that, that he took upon himself was for us. And we take and understand he takes our sin. We receive his righteousness. And from the heart, we turn from, and from, our, it, we, from our heart's desires that are selfish and self-centered. And we turn desire to turn from sin and surrender our lives to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and receive his salvation that is offered, our lives in that very second become a miracle. And that miracle continues on. Only a touch from the Spirit of God can dethrone me from the throne of my heart and put Jesus there. And if this has happened to you, we ought to then just marvel 
at the glory of Jesus. How he can take natural-born sinners and mess-ups and failures, even those who at one time have been great enemies to Jesus Christ, great enemies to Christianity, and can radically change them and unites them in relationship with himself and with one another throughout the world. This is how the church declares to a city, to a region, to a nation that Jesus Christ has risen. Because we are all living, walking, breathing miracles of God. I found out yesterday that my, uh, an uncle of mine, my dad's oldest brother, is nearing the end of his earthly journey. And, and, and together as a family, they've been able to be with him. And, and uh, my one aunt is, is taking it especially rather hard in these days. And then uh, as my dad posted that in a chat just to be praying for them and that our uncle is nearing the end, I just couldn't help but to think, but, but there must be a part of him so pumped. So pumped because soon he's going to see his wife who died a number of years ago from cancer. So pumped because he'll see his parents that died at age 106 and 103. None of us are going to live forever, not even the Lutzer clan. <laughs> and then he's going to see his son who died in a car accident many years ago when he was 16 years old. And I thought, what a reunion. But, be, but beyond that, he gets to see Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Our lives are a miracle. This is what we have in store, what we have waiting for us. And life here on this earth can be hard filled with discouragement and fear, reasons to fear. Just yesterday we heard, we heard the diagnosis for our daughter's father-in-law. Some of you have been praying for that and wondering how he's been doing and his health hasn't been good and, and they shared with the family that he has acute leukemia. And he's been declining and starting treatment this very day. But to know that God is with us and God is with him and going to be with him on this journey. And part of, as he was sharing with the family and, and the confusion and the tears and the tiredness and the weariness, there was a part where he just, he said, but hey, God, God's going to place people in my path in this journey that need to hear about the love of Christ. So be praying for Conrad and Barbara. And for others of you, you're walking through these different things and yet our lives are a miracle because this isn't all that there is. Not only do we have eternity, not only do we have heaven, but we have his power and his presence today in our lives. And when we receive this by faith, this miracle takes place. And when you see people in a church like this, so different from so many different backgrounds, so many areas of struggle, so many areas of victory, so many different issues in our past, joyous and difficult, whatever that might be, and yet it unites us together. This morning, just I, I was a um, song that posted on the online lobby to encourage you to listen to on your way to church, and I love. And we've been singing it here at this um, in, in our services, and and there's a line in there: "We were the beggars, now we're royalty." We were the prisoners. Now we're running free, forgiven, accepted, redeemed by his blood. Let the house of the Lord sing his praise. Amen? Amen. That's what he's done for us. Our lives are a living miracle. And so as we sing, as we pray, as we lock arms together in the mission that God's called us to be a part of, declaring that Jesus is the Lord because a miracle has taken place in our lives. And that's how and when the gospel gets traction in our city in our workplace, in our family, when they see our lives and we see our lives as miracles of Jesus. Jesus is so worthy of our full allegiance. 
But this means, because he's worthy of our full allegiance, this means he has authority over all. Not only over heaven and the earth, he has authority over everything, including our money, our time, our relationships, our personal ambition, and more. You might say, well, when it comes to money, I love money. Yes, we need money. Money can be good. It's necessary. But when it's our number one goal and the thing we dream and, 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 and just can't get enough of, we want to accumulate more stuff to make a name for ourselves, to store up a really good-sized nest egg, and, and, and we give ourselves so much to these things, it can become dangerous because Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. It's one or the other. Our time, I love Jesus, but don't ask me to rearrange my schedule. Don't ask me to go to a small group. Don't ask me to give up, you know, or, or to go to a prayer night or to serve in some capacity. I want to sit in church. I don't want to serve in this area or that area. I, I want to sleep in. Sleep is precious. But this is where Jesus gets our time. And, and it's, it, it's even daily. It's weekly looking at our time and saying, Jesus, how can I serve you this week? Are you looking at your life? And, that, and that's just not church life. There's other ministries. There's other ways that you can be involved in the workplace. Do we see our time as God's time? as something that we get to be on mission for him. In our relationships, even good relationships with good people can get in the way of our allegiance to Jesus. Personal ambition, nothing wrong with being ambitious, but am I, are we being ambitious for the right thing or is it for our business, our career, our name, our reputation, or is it being ambitious for Jesus? That's what ultimately needs to trump everything. And sadly, it can be like, Jesus, come along with me on the run that I'm gonna take here in my life. Here, I have these plans, I have these ideas. Now, Jesus, come along with me. Oh, and, and be sure to bless me along the way, especially when I need something or get in trouble. It's not the way he operates. He's Lord of all. And so we put him, and daily we have to keep doing this. And listen, if we've received the gospel, the forgiveness of our sins through faith in Jesus Christ, not only do we get a new identity, a new heart, we get a new reason for a living, we get a new mission. And Jesus, we exist to bear witness to Jesus Christ. Second of all, we see living for the right mission means I engage in Christ's work. Verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, the way that these verses are written in the original Greek is spoken by Jesus. The word make disciples, those words, make disciples, that is the main verb. The going, the baptizing, the teaching are present imperatives. They support the main verb. This is how we are to make disciples, by our going, by baptizing, by our teaching. And a disciple, you might, well, what does it mean to be a disciple? A disciple means to be a pupil, to be a learner, to be a follower. It means to become like the teacher that is leading us. Now, you might say, and you might know, and, and, and think, well, Judas was a disciple of Jesus. He was one of the 12. He was chosen by Jesus. But in the end, his life revealed that he was never saved. He had the right look. He learned the lingo. He learned the ways, but his heart was never changed. In fact, when you read through the Gospels, and you get little snippets here and there of Judas, and what do we see about him? We see a guy who was pretty obsessed with money, was obsessed with power, and a critical spirit. Those are things we need to be watching and guarding in our own lives and checking our own hearts. He wasn't all in. 
You see, a true disciple, in a true disciple, there ought to be a posture, a progression of becoming more and more like Christ. There must be spiritual fruit that becomes evident, even if it's just, you know, I mean, whether it's just even small, is there some spiritual fruit going on in our lives? That's something we need to be looking at and examining. And notice that Jesus commissions us not to simply be a disciple, but to make disciples. It's not simply just to abide in Christ and make everything about me. And so I go here and I go here and I get this because it's all about me and it's about abiding in Christ. And so I go to this church and I watch this and I do all this because it's all about me. Well, that's, well, it's not good if you're bouncing around. I mean, plant yourself somewhere and be committed to the body of Christ. But learn as much as we can. But it's not just to fall and land on ourselves. It is so that we make disciples, that we share it. We invest in the lives of others. And so who are you investing in? Who are you discipling? So that they will eventually meet someone who doesn't know the Lord. So that they will eventually come to know Jesus Christ. Or, or who are you helping to grow as a believer in Christ? Who are you investing time in and energy, encouraging, praying, meeting with? And some might say, well, I'm just, it's my family. I'm busy with my, yes, yes, good, good place to start. But it doesn't stop there, just you being focused on your own, little, your own little bubble. Sadly, COVID has taught us a lot of that word bubble. I can't stand it because then we just make our lives so small. Who are we building and growing in, in, in Christ? And see, we're all discipling someone. So, so you say, hey, we're all discipling someone, so we must be doing it well. Are we influencing them for Jesus? We're discipling people, but is it towards Christ or could it be even away from Christ? Are we influencing them in the ways and the love in the life of Christ? Who are you investing in here at the church, in the work that you do, out in the work world, in the, at school, in the gym, in your neighborhood? You see, discipleship, it, it, it's a lot of times we refer to it as a program in the life of the church. And, and we have a discipleship program or a discipleship pathway here at Hope, and it's good. Brett's been working on that, and, and, and we're encouraged with that, and we still have a long ways to go with that. But discipleship is more than just a program. Discipleship is people, people at the heart of it. And it's not about just waiting until you've arrived, until you can, you know, now I know enough. I've been in the faith for all these years, and I've read the Bible through 16 times, and I've studied this book and that, and now I can disciple someone. Now I'm ready. No. Because you know what? If you feel ready to be a disciple, you'll never, to be a disciple maker, you'll never be one. None of us have arrived. By the time you reach the spiritual maturity that you would like to be at, you'll be in heaven. You won't have to disciple anyone there. You just get to worship and have a blast. So who are you discipling in this way? You see, it's not waiting until we've arrived or hitting that certain level of maturity. It's not about sharing all the victories and all the successes. But we disciple and are being discipled as we grow with others by sharing oftentimes the holes in our lives the struggles and the battles, where it's not working for us, but how we're turning to Christ. And we share that journey. And it's oftentimes through the pain that we have a message to share. That's often, it's through the pain that we become real with those around us. It goes from just a bunch of head knowledge to the heart. 
This week I started thinking of the dozens, and, and actually I had to, it couldn't be dozens, it was the hundreds and probably even more than that of people who have discipled me over the years in, in intentional ways and, and very one-on-one, -on -one, but also in very, uh, in a broader way. Think of my parents and grandparents, nursery workers that changed my diapers, faithfully and willingly cared so that for me and loved and prayed for me so that my parents could be in a church service. I think of all the Sunday school teachers throughout the years and oh, the trouble I gave some of them and the youth leaders. I remember we had some, some uh, young Bible college students who came to teach a Sunday school one year. I thought, oh, these guys are gonna be good. They're not like some old guy or some old you know, granny teaching us now. Like we're getting some, and they said, we're gonna teach you guys some theology. And I'm like, theology, what? What are you talking about? And, and they were taking theology in Bible college, so they thought they were going to teach us as kids. And I'm like, this is boring. And, and I let them know that. And I, you know, purposefully even set in to not even learn very much. But you know one thing I learned? I saw a passion that these guys had for the word and for theology. And even early on in those days, it sent a message home to me that theology, good theology, and good doctrine matters. They were discipling me even though I was, wasn't listening very much but I saw what they were doing. I think of the youth pastors. I think of the elders in churches I've been a part of that have given godly oversight. I think of the pastors who have preached faithfully the word of God. I still have sermon notes from, from one of my pastors. It's in this little black box in my office and, and it was um, filled. I, I, I took three by five cards and had them in my Bible and wrote sermon notes. And sometimes, as you know, my hand, messy handwriting, I would take and rewrite them later on so I could understand it. And I still have those. And every once in a while, I go and take a look and just look at the feet that, the faithful feeding I received for years to help grow and disciple me. And here, we desire here at Hope to, to be a disciple-making church. We are discipled directly and indirectly by faithful servants. And just even take time this week, encourage you, just start making a list of all the people throughout the years that had an influence for God in your life. I'll bet you the number will be in the hundreds and you take and you combine that together, it'll be the thousands of people who have influenced, who've discipled us. And here at Hope, one of the things we, we, we say and we desire to declare from time to time, we say no to consumerism, no to just showing up and just sitting on the bleachers. It's about rolling up our sleeves and being part of the mission. It's about living our mission on mission for Jesus Christ. And you know what I hope, and this is what our leaders hope, that, that, that one day we're gonna have a people, group of people standing up across here and they're gonna fill it up up here. And we are gonna commission them. And some of you could easily be part of that. And those who come to the, it's not the, oh, the second service people, they'll be the ones. No, from here, from there. And we're going to put you across here and we're going to send you out to be part of a church plant here in the central Okanagan. Some of you may be selling your house to go move into that area to be intentionally planted there in, in that region. Where? I don't know. We've got to figure that out. With who? We don't know. We have to figure that out. But we're praying towards that end that we would not just get comfortable, cross our arms and just hit me with another good sermon, pastor. No, that we're getting out there and we're living the life of a disciple and intentionally doing this in our lives. Who are we intentionally discipling, investing, and be thinking about that this week? But it's also about baptizing. As it says here, we make disciples who, by baptizing them. 
Baptism is one of the first steps of, of obedience for the disciple of Jesus Christ. Once a person is saved, has committed their life to Jesus Christ, the call of Jesus is to be baptized, to be immersed underwater. That's, that's the command and the call and the progression that we see in the New Testament. Baptism is a public declaration of an inward grace. And, and it's an outward then expression of a desire to follow and to live for Jesus. And nowhere in the Bible do we see infants being baptized. That's a tradition that started somewhere in, I believe, AD 200. And it can be very sweet. It can be very meaningful. But it's a tradition. It's not a command. To be baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ is a command. And he commands baptism for all of his followers. To be, to be in, we make this statement. It's not for our salvation. It's a declaration of our salvation. And Jesus commands this back. We see it all through the New Testament. And if you haven't been baptized yet, let's get that process going. Delayed obedience in this matter is disobedience. Call me, speak to me after the service, talk to Brett, one of our elders, small group leader. Let them know and we'll, we'll work with you on this. We'd love to see, uh, have a baptism service. We, we actually have been uh, getting built a um, portable baptismal tank. It, it looks pretty cool. Is it done? It is. Awesome. And so we can't wait to fill it up, hopefully here, that we don't crash the floor through or anything like that. That'd be, that'd be quite, anyways, uh, I digress. But um, for, for us to be able to declare together through these winter months even and celebrate together with you, fill out an online connection card, you can do that as well. Disciples declare that they are all in by being baptized. And every time we see a baptism, it should take us back to when we were baptized and say, yes, I'm all in once again. I love this. I love seeing the obedience. I love seeing the beautiful picture of death, burial, resurrection, new life, sins being washed away. Yes, he did this for me. And now I celebrate that, uh, th that God has done this in the life of a brother or sister here at Hope. But then we also make disciples by teaching. By teaching them to obey, verse 20 says, all that I've commanded you and how desperately we need to be grounded in the word of God, in our knowledge, in our understanding, in our convictions of God's word. This past week I read in the Christian Post, 70%, this is probably in the United States, and so I don't think we would be any better here in Canada. Nearly 70% of born-again Christians say other religions can also lead to heaven. You know the only place you don't see that or find that? In the Bible. We need to know the word of God. And similar views are held, loose views are held when it comes to creation, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, or that God is all-powerful and all-knowing. Many people who call themselves born-again Christians deny these kind of things. They deny what God's word says so clearly and how vital it is that we know and share and boldly teach and proclaim the word of God, to proclaim that there is salvation in no other name under heaven by which a man, a woman, anyone can be saved. And so we preach and we teach and we learn and, understand and desire to understand the whole counsel of God. And so it's by teaching that we make disciples. And lastly, we live for the right mission. And this means that we have a promised power source. This is the good thing that we're not living this mission on our own power and our own strength. We're not baptizing and teaching and, and, and going and, and, and all of this in our own strength. What does Jesus say at the very end? He says, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now you have to understand when the word behold um, is in scripture, it's not just, and behold, 
I am with you to the end of the age. When the word behold is there, it's behold! It's like get your attention, like wake up. And Jesus is saying, behold, with everything that's going, you need to know I am with you right to the very end. You're not alone. And so he's saying, now get to it. I'll be with you. My presence, my power to the very end. And he does this in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, as was read, read earlier in the service, after the resurrection and just before Jesus ascended, what did he say in, in, in verse 8? He says, wait, stay in the city until you've received power from the Holy Spirit, until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And with Holy Spirit power, with, with Christ's presence in us, we go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is how we are to go. And, and we see that in the early churches. They devoted themselves to pray, to prayer, and to the Spirit's power. We see them turning the world upside down. Living on and for the right mission is not done in our own strength, in our own power, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And whether you are raising children or contending for Jesus and for truth in the workplace or in academia... It doesn't matter. We need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God has a mission for each one of us to fulfill by his grace and for his glory. And it's time, I believe, for us to say, I'm all in. No more of this consumer stuff. No more of just kind of going through the motions. It's about taking, taking the jersey home, you know, and, and taking it with you and, and taking, you know, this stuff. Now, you better return this because it's very valuable and stuff. But it means you're going to put on the jersey, it means you're going to put on the jersey of being a disciple maker and you're going to bring it home next. You're going to come in here and it's going to be wet. It's going to be dirty, drenched in sweat, maybe even a little blood uh, from falling or, you know, I, I don't know why, you know, but, but, but get out there. Get in the game is right. You say, but no, then I'm tired. I'm weary. You know, I think we all are. This almost two years, we were tired before COVID and now all of this, this two, almost two-year run of COVID and mandates and controversy has drained us. But most of the gospel advance being done today is being done by tired people. Tired parents raising kids. Tired servants setting up and taking down. Leading worship. Tired pastors preaching sermons. Tired scholars writing books. Tired employers and employees out in the workforce, living and desiring to work for Jesus with great integrity. Tired people singing to the glory of God. What were we expecting? This life is hard. Jesus said, this, in this life, you will have trouble. This life is hard, and it's not going to really get any better until Jesus returns or until he calls us home. I'm not being a, you know... Uh, Doug Downer. That's just the reality. Quit dreaming that one day you won't be tired because it's not going to happen. You can go on vacation and then by the time... Yeah, anyways. Instead, be clothed in the Spirit's power. That's where the strength comes from. That's where the joy comes from. Before our feet hit the ground in the morning, before we get going, would we take that God time and surrender ourselves to Christ's authority and give him our heart over all things? Would we say, God, this is your day. This is a day that I desire to serve and to live for you. God, put people and, 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 and schedules, change that and, and arrange them to, make, to be able to take time to speak to others about Christ. God, this day is yours. Choose to worship him and praise him, our great savior. 
Let's be devoted to prayer as a church and daily ask the Holy Spirit to fill us anew each day. Jesus wants your life to matter. Not just for the time that your heart is pumping and then they might say a few nice things about you and throw some dirt on you and then you'll just go back and eat some potato salad or egg salad afterwards. He wants your life to count into eternity. So let's get into the game. Get your jersey on. Get it dirty. Get it sweaty. Get good and sore. There's this kind of stuff if you have sore muscles and stuff like that, you know, and, and let's keep pressing on. Your life will count. Let's pray. God, would our whole lives declare that you are so good, that you are so good to us, that when we understand our lives are a miracle, and even though that miracle may seem pretty messed up right now, as your children, God, that you desire to make something beautiful and sweet out of our lives, out of the messes. We understand that everything we do is, about, is proclaiming something, and we understand and we know that there are thousands of ways to bear witness to Jesus. And oftentimes the best ways to bear witness to you are the hardest. When our health is failing, we have such a rare opportunity to bear witness to the sufficiency of Jesus. And he's sweeter than life itself. When faced with losing integrity, When faced with losing our integrity or, or, or facing advancement in the world, we have an opportunity to declare that Jesus is sovereign over all things on heaven and on earth. When tired parents drive their kids to church, they are declaring that Jesus is better than sleep, that Jesus is our rest. When our lives don't seem to be turning out the way that we thought or hoped, and, and everyone knows it, we have a rare opportunity to bear witness that Jesus is our true life and that Jesus offers true and eternal significance. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us this week as we take those steps to get on that right mission, that we would make much of you and how amazing you are, and even as we declare even now, God, you are so good. And then send us out this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and declare.